Welcome to Nailed. I'm Blake, the, the husband. I'm Jessica, and I like to say that I'm Blake's partner in crime because I'm <laughs> no one's property. I'm not a wife. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Well, I changed mine. I want to be Blake the... Uh, I wanted to do a Nine Inch Nails reference, and I can't think of one. And we are the lovers. <laughs> and we're in this together, and... Oh, we got rings on our fingers. Ring finger. Um, and sometimes we fuck like animals. So here no, we not. are. You made me like blow a bubble in my martini. We've or our, as Blake cutely said earlier, my Trentini. We both have our Trentinis <laughs> a ready. teenage girl. <laughs> hey. If you want to make one at home and play along, it's, it's a vodka martini with, it's so dirty it looks like it's full of piss. It's fucking filthy. Yeah, a martini with all the piss and the shit. It's basically 30% vodka, 30% vermouth, and then 40% just olives. olive juice. I love me all the olives. Yeah. But let's. we should really get down to it, down in it. We already did down in it. Mm-hmm. That was Halo 1. That was Halo So this one. is a Halo by Halo journey mm-hmm. through the ages for Nine Inch Nails mm-hmm. with me and Jessica. We introduced ourselves, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think we gave any kind of like CV, but I don't think that's necessary. Like, what am I going to say? I'm, I'm a technical writer. Yeah. I have been listening to Nine Inch Nails since I was a teen, preteen even, and have uh, been rediscovering them in the pandemic and reconnecting in unexpected and, and pleasant ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not a musician. I'm not a critic. I'm just a fan. I'm just a, a person who loves music. Kind of a musician. You sing and you played the the clarinet in I, school. So. I did play the clarinet in school. But I dropped out in high school because my sister told me only nerds stay in bands. So I dropped out. I just wanted my family to love me. <laughs> I heard a really, really sad uh, band story from the newsletter. That we can cut this out. No, just tell explain what the newsletter is. Well, it's our local newspaper. Yeah. Um, and it really, really hit home, and it was really fucking sad because I was in um, Nixa High School band, and this was about a Nixa band, a freshman in the Nixa High School band. The story was about a boy who played trumpet, and I played trumpet in mm-hmm. the band, and he had to get like facial mouth reconstructive surgery from an injury that happened at a band uh, a marching band contest and it was the worst thing anyway a horn knocked his whole face off oh, anyway God, this is what a way to so start that's the a kind podcast. of mindset we need to get into talking about this dark shit i was yeah. so i was about his age maybe mm-hmm. when i was really getting into nine inch nails so like 16 15 14 14 15 that's when I was really getting into them okay. for the first time. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was too, but I'm only a couple years older than you. I thought your first album was The Fragile. Well, I went back and, I mean, pretty, I got so into them so fast that I went back pretty quickly, listened to mm-hmm. Downwards, Viral, Broken, and Pretty Hate Machine. Mm-hmm. I almost kind of went backwards. I was going to ask you, I mean, before we get too far ahead, um, first I want to give a shout out to Year Zero. It turned 14 today, so mm-hmm. happy birthday Wait, to Year Zero. this is the day it was released? Yes. Oh, crazy. 14 years ago. Okay. And 2007. I remember the day it was released. I was 
eagerly awaiting it. Were you in Springfield or Chicago? Chicago. Okay. And I went out and bought it. I remember working at Barnes & Noble and I put it out. Like, Mm. I I always worked on Tuesday, new release day at the time, when you could put out all the CDs. And I remember putting it out and thinking, man, I wish I had money. (laughs) Like, Um, I was so broke. It was a very poor time. Barely paying rent, you know? Yeah, same same for me. It's what happens when you live off a retail uh, uh, wage. Definitely not a living wage. So, by the way, I'm Blake. Mm -hmm. I'm a a librarian, um, amateur audio engineer, amateur musician. Uh, Amateur husband. Amateur husband, amateur podcaster, (laughs) amateur uh, nerd. uh, And, yeah, that's me. Um, And we're here to talk about Halo 2. Pretty Hate Machine, right? Mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails first full-length LP. That's right. Do you have any like specific memories of buying this album at all? Because you kind of just talked about getting it, but do you actually remember buying it or um, being excited about it or yeah, anything? Yeah, I mean, but I was so late. Let's see. It would have been 11 or so years, at least 11 years after it came out. And I was like, got a few... Tra- I got like the bangers off of Napster or whatever. So I'd heard <laughs> Terrible Eye and... Okay. And had like a hole in all the singles. Um, I probably heard most of the songs from downloading MP3s. And then I probably went to CD Warehouse and I got a um, I got a CD of it. Um, and then all I had a bunch of cool Nine Inch Nails uh, CDs, including like March of the Pigs mm-hmm. and Further that. Down the Spiral and a, some some more obscure things and. Um, and then my all my CDs were stolen out of my car. So I had to rebuy Pretty Hate Machine. And in my hand right now is the one that I rebought. And it is was that like, a Ryko disc? Is that when Ryko disc re-released it? It has an Interscope logo on it as well as a TVT logo. And nothing logo is on it. So it's definitely a reprint. I don't see Ryko disc anywhere. Okay. The, I remember the first one I had was just black print on the CD. On Cedar, yeah. And this has got the neon pink and blue on the CD. So you can tell it was made later. Mm-hmm. You just got to, if you haven't seen the artwork, you've just got to look at it. It's, um, bring it back feels one for the ages. It's, <laughs> it's incredibly 1989. Yes. Which is the year that it came out. And it's just, it's iconic. I don't know what, to, what, what would you say about it? I always thought it was a awesome, but I always, I don't think I know exactly what it is. My thought is that it's a close up, like an extreme close up of one of those like old fashioned, like David Letterman type microphones that sat on his desk. Oh, Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? But like, yeah. uh, like with the image, like the colors inverted or something. So I, um, and then it, but the close up is so extreme. It's made to look like yeah. a rib cage or yeah. bones or something, but I'm not, I'm not certain what exactly it is. I always thought it um, looked like a rib cage, uh, but a mechanical one. And I think I read that it was like a highly photo manipulated close up shot of a turbine or some kind of machinery. Mm-hmm. So already we're like in industrial land because mm-hmm. it's like the art is just blue and pink neon close ups of machinery that are. Uh, blown up and stretched out and it says nine inch nails pretty hate machine in this interesting lowercase font with backwards ends what the heck if you were a kid in 1989 you'd be thinking why are the ends backwards i better (laughs) i better buy this to find out (laughs) well i have memories of buying that and actually i didn't buy it um my first nine inch nails album was downward spiral and i got really 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 into it 
And uh, I was trying to think how old I was. Maybe 14, barely 13, 14. And um, back when I was a kid, CDs were pretty expensive. Like they were anywhere from like 10 to $20, right? 24 for like a double LP. Like when Melancholy and Infinite Sadness came out, that was like. By today's standards, come on. 10 to 20 bucks is a good deal, I think. When well, now you can just be We're paying 10... 30 to $40 an album on but, LP. No, but like now, honestly, you don't even have to buy physical music if you don't want to. You can pay 10 bucks a month well, no. to a streaming service well, and we do anyway. have everything at your fingertips. Yeah. But then definitely not like that. So I didn't get to buy CDs that often. I wasn't old enough to have a real job. Hmm. I work concession stands in the summer. So my mom, to try to convince me to do better in school, we made an agreement that with every A, I'd get a CD, right? Ooh. Like on a quarterly report card. It couldn't be just like a test with an A on it. You know what I mean? Like I had to bring home, because I was smart. I just didn't give a shit. I was honestly just so depressed all the time and I didn't care. Same. Um. So I uh, that did get my ass in gear to try to make better grades so I could get CDs. And I remember I really wanted Pretty Hate Machine. And the only place to buy CDs in our town was Walmart. That I'm not, you're not getting that shit there. Um, so I, I bet you wouldn't have to. Um, this is not like a parental advisory uh album, it's their only one that isn't, probably. Is it? <laughs> mm. I still doubt Walmart carried it, yeah, probably not. Well, okay, Walmart recently has, I know they have pretty hate because Walmart on vinyl has now. completely no, they don't give a shit at all. I know anymore. they don't care anymore. But back then it was, you could not get anything with like explicit lyrics. And if you wanted your CD sold in a Walmart, it had to be like an edited version. And plus it's not cool to buy music at a Walmart. Anyway, so I, my sister was going to MSU at the time or SMSU before the name changed. Mm. And I called her at her dorm and begged her like the next time you bring down laundry, can you go and pick up Pretty Hate Machine for me from somewhere? Um, because I made in like two A's and this is one of my CDs I get and I really want it. And mm. so she came down one weekend and she had forgotten and I was so upset. Oh my God, I was course. so upset. Like I cried because I wanted it so She's gonna bad. She's going to be the villain of this podcast. No, because what happened, no, what happened was she felt so bad that she came, she went back up to Springfield at the end of the weekend and came back down like on Tuesday night and brought it to me. And... So after she did her laundry and spent the okay. weekend, like she came back down the following night when she didn't have a class. That's nice. And brought it to me. And I remember she said, like, I bought it from SoundSmart. Do you know what SoundSmart is? They, that store is still open, isn't it? Yes. I, I don't know how. I think it's a drug. It's front, a store that like, sells basic, music and drugs in the back. Basically, when I was a kid, it was CDs. It was a head shop, really. Yeah, yeah. Like it sold pipes and uh, CDs and subway posters. So you would go and buy like gigantic, yeah. like you had to go to a Kurt cool Cobain posters. To yeah, get pretty hate machine. Yeah, but I no, I think she just told me that. So I knew that she went out of her way to go to a cool store to get it. Does that make sense? Like she was like, yeah. I got it from SoundSmart, and. Uh, it was in a little brown bag and I opened it and I was, it was just like so exciting. Like it's the dumbest thing to say and it made oh, me so well, happy that's nice. I like that she did that. That's good. She actually felt bad for once. Well, good. <laughs> it's about time. The yeah. Okay. The only places I think I would have bought Nine Inch Nail CDs in this town when I was here would have been CD Warehouse or the CD store that used to be in the mall. That oh, cha- uh, Camelot slash FYE. Yeah. It changed mm-hmm. names a few times. I know I got some stuff there. I picked up closure there. Yeah, we'll talk about. Yeah, I might have too. I might have got my closure there and some other interesting things. Yeah. But 
that's for another time. Also, it was really easy to shoplift from the there. Line. So <laughs> I, I saw, I saw a kid running out of there with like a duffel bag full of shit, and <laughs> one of it was one of their me. guys literally chasing, chasing him, but only going like fifteen feet outside the door. They had well, they had the entrance to the outside. Like it wasn't mm, yeah, like most true. normal stores. They had like an actual entrance that you could get in and out from the outside. Because right. back then, music was so big. Like you had a fucking oh, outside yeah. entrance to get into a music store in a mall. What do we want to say about the album? up front before we play it and talk about the songs i thought you would have background i do i I have a prop and i want to talk about our first episode a little bit because blake specifically said hey don't rehearse i mean don't don't prepare he said don't prepare don't research don't do anything we'll just get up here and we'll just talk about it and the first fucking thing he asks me is hey what date did this come out and i was like Damn it, Blake. I just thought we knew these things. In no. Our Why would I have the exact date memorized? I knew it was like fall of 89. So, I mean, but I could not tell you. So, and then later on he was like, hey, what What does this sample? And I'm like, damn it. Well, we now we know. Yes. Thanks so, to Jessica. Yeah. So I bought a special moleskin notebook just for this. I'm mm. going to call this Halo 50 because someday I think it will be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... The actual album was released on October 20th of 89 on TVT. It had four different producers and Trent Reznor also as a producer. There were three major singles down in it had like a hole and sin. Um, Do we want to talk about like, I don't know. Here's the thing is I don't think a lot of publications reviewed it when it was released because no one took industrial seriously at all. As a genre uh, at the time. So yeah. I, I think that it was probably overlooked by music press until it started performing well. Mm-hmm. And when they had like their gig on Lollapalooza that helped break them in like mm-hmm. 91. Sounds so, about right. Yeah. So for reviews, um, Rolling Stone gave it four stars at some point And Pitchfork, whenever this album was re-released, reissued, uh, gave it a 9.5. And Damn. Damn. Their review, their reviewer. That is high. Well, can I say their reviewer is actually someone who probably liked the band, whereas <laughs> well, I think yeah. they normally assign people who don't like the band to the <laughs> to review them, which I can understand. But also, like, why would you assign someone who hates a band or a certain genre of music to review? Was this know. when they released the remaster in yes. 2010 mm-hmm. or 2009? I, I want to say 2009 because it's the 20 year anniversary of it. But the, what, what's important is they did a remastered version of this. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll talk about a few of the minor differences when we go through the songs. Yeah. So some other accolades. It was recently Rolling Stone did they redid their top five hundred albums of all time list, and they put Pretty Hate Machine at number four hundred and fifty three, and Pitchfork ranked this number seventy six on their two hundred best albums of the eighties, hmm. and. NME New Musical Express did a top five hundred albums of all time. And not one Nine Inch Nails album was listed. Oh, well. So completely snubbed. I think that he and NME have kind of a, uh, what's the a word? A hate-hate relationship. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, well. Yeah. So, okay, the producers uh, are, let me see if I can guess them. Okay. Flood. Well, yes. You'd know him from Depeche Mode and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yes. In fact, Flood was supposed to produce the entire album, but only ended up producing a couple tracks because... Of his commitment to Depeche Mode. So I'm guessing at the time uh, when he had to pull Violator out. Violator and stuff. Yeah, he was probably working on Violator. That's and, my guess. And he went on to do big things like Smashing Pumpkins and... U2. 
Yeah. Okay. So Keith LeBlanc mm-hmm. is like an industrial musician mm-hmm. slash producer. From Tackhead, yes. And we'll discuss them later when we talk about samples. I have mm-hmm. thoughts. Is the other one Alan Mulder? No. <laughs> Who's the other one? Um, John Fryer from oh, This John. Mortal Coil. Okay. And th- that's another like industrial act, right? Very, very, very early. Yes. Okay. No, there was like the 4 AD. Yes. Okay. Yes. John Fryer. And th- that's all of them? Nope. One more. Adrian Sherwood, who oh. is also from Tackhead. Okay. And Tackhead, by the way, is like, I've never heard these two terms used together. So I want to say them. Industrial hip hop group. That's what they're considered. From what I've listened, I haven't heard any hip-hop. I just heard samples and, and drum machines. Well, I think... I didn't hear any rapping. Well, I know that... Um, and weird, distorted vocals. <laughs> Keith LeBlanc, actually, he started out working on Sugar Hill Records. Like, he recorded with Grandmaster Flash. Hmm. Um, and one of his first big... Not really, like... It's not like a smash record, but he did do um, one of the first big sample-based singles and it was um called malcolm x no sellout so Hmm. maybe you can insert a little bit right here okay malcolm x no sellout malcolm x no sellout white black brown red yellow doesn't make any difference what color you are The only thing power respects is power. But yeah, um, so I think maybe because of his, like, he he was just kind of like a session session musician. I don't want to put it that way, like, just a session. That's not what I meant. You're talking about Trent Reznor now? No, I'm talking about Keith LeBlanc for a lot of hip-hop artists. Okay. So. So, Pretty Hate Machine. We already talked about its first single. Mm Mm-hmm. Its second single is Head Like a Hole with the first track Do we want to talk about the story of recording Pretty Hate Machine a little bit? Um, it was recorded in Cleveland, partially. At Right Track Studios, where Trent also worked. Yes. He... And allegedly, legend has it, he mopped floors. Alleged he was a janitor. Did, not just a janitor. He was all, he was an assistant. Assistant engineer, yes. But what Midi I like is programmer. the... Like, there were literally... I have all these old issues of like Spin and Rolling Stone, and they're they're literally like, he to- cleaned toilets and then worked on his hey. album by night. But wait... I just want to say, though, that the owner of Right Track Studios, uh, Bart Coster, said that um, he was like a kind of like jack of all trades, but he also brought him on when he was building the studio and Trent quickly caught on to like engineering. And he said that he hired him because he met him at um, a place called Pi Keyboards and Audio and Trent was a salesperson there. (laughs) So he sold keyboards. Yeah, and he said that's what's funny is that um, Trent's first gold record wasn't even his. It was a record he engineered working with a group called Troop, who had a gold record. Huh. But what I think is funny is like the whole legend yeah. kind of built in the magazines. And then the owner was like, no, I met him and I thought he was a cool dude. And I just hired him as an engineer slash, you know, jack of all trades. So, uh, Andy man. Yeah. So Trent is like this. He knew gear. This is why I love. Self-taught. This is why I love him. Yeah. Because he's a synthy gear boy like me. Mm-hmm. I w- I've also been an intern at a recording studio. And I've cleaned their toilets as well <laughs> as set up their microphones. Wait, are you Trent? Uh, well, the, the difference is I didn't have success afterward <laughs> like he did. And yeah, he 
apparently worked on his stuff by night or when, you know, when the studio wasn't in use. Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that people always say in like every article you read about him, it's like that guy works like it's just nonstop. Yeah, he's obviously like a obsessive and perfectionist and workaholic when it comes to the music. Anyway, he used his studio downtime to record a demo. He knew his way around a synthesizer and a sampler. Yes, and so he used downtime with permission from his boss uh, to record a bunch of demos, which are now known as Purest Feeling. Is that correct? Yeah, like the demo tape was Purest... Now a bootleg called Purest Feeling, and that well, I think we'll do that as a bonus episode, but it's basically the early version of Pretty yeah. Hate Machine. So he hooked up uh, with now former manager John Malm. Yeah. And they sent the demo to various record labels, and they ended up signing with TVT, which was basically previously known as a label for releasing like novelty albums and yeah. TV jingle records. I believe uh, on that one documentary that we watched, um, was it called The Defiant Ones? Mm-hmm. Trent called TVT a collection of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he always hated them. What's... They were, they treated him like shit. They told him it, his, after buying, they said they wanted purest feeling, but then when he got in, started they... working on Pretty Hate Machine, so... they were like, this sucks ass. We hate it. They called it an abortion. Yeah. <laughs> he... He recorded it in 20 days, and the label hated it because Purest Feeling was more synthy and more synth pop. And so they hated that Pretty Hate Machine was had more like industrial elements, and they just thought this is going to go nowhere. Like Pretty Hate Machine had, or Purest Feeling had a real drum kit, live drums, which is really weird because it's like synthesizers plus live drums. Pretty Hate Machine is is basically entirely fake drum samples and drum machines and Mm -hmm. synths. And add some guitar, whereas uh, Pierce Feeling had less of, had less guitar, more trumpet samples, and more goofiness. But yeah, they didn't like the direction he took it, and he was mm-hmm. like, "Fuck you, I'm doing it anyway." But after the album ended up being successful, by the way, this was one of the first like independently released albums to sell over a million copies. Like independently released, mm-hmm. TVT is considered an independent label. Oh, it's a small. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a smaller label. Yeah, yes. it's not. It wasn't owned by a major. No. Okay, interesting. Not at the time. I I don't know if eventually it was or not. But yes, no, not at the time. No, they don't exist. Um, but yeah. But it. Yeah, in 1995, it became one of the first independently released albums to gain platinum status, and it went triple platinum in 2003. Damn, it took so. to it took a while, but it did, it which got is weird. There. Yeah. Well, I mean his. Like subsequent albums are probably a bit bigger than Pretty Hate Machines. So. I think Downward Spiral sold yeah, four it was to five million, maybe more than that by now. Anything else important we need to say about the album before we? Do you want to talk about any of the themes of the album, or do you just want to discuss those as we come uh, like upon them? It's mostly about heartbreak and comparing it to BDSM stuff, and it's <laughs> yeah. kind of dark, but also. I think melodramatic is the word I was trying to. Well, he was really young. Yeah, he was a baby. And he also pulled How like he I think down in it was one of the first songs he really wrote in his early 20s. OK, yeah. Yeah. But I think he because he wasn't sure how to write songs and didn't know what to do. He just pulled basically journal entries. Right. Isn't that the story that you've heard where he just used like journal right. entries to write? And so it sounds, it's kind of sounds that way. Yes. yes. Like a young person's journals that are about their emotions. Yes. And then I think he's even said like, that's the only album where the 
I is actually me. Like when he says, I just, I think they're all like, they all seem like that to me. (laughs) It seems like that never really changed, but until maybe way later, but it is more, it is very, very personal. Yes. And earnest, I think. Yeah, and about and naive. Um, yeah, about the the naive yeah. relationships of yeah. youth and how they can go wrong. Yeah, I I think that it was summed up best. I read um, that review from Pitchfork, and the reviewer Tom Brian said that much of Pretty Hate Machine concerns a simple scenario, and that is being young but feeling that your life is already over and that your best days are already behind you. And I was like, yeah. holy shit, that sums it up. I think that's true. Yep. I felt that way when I was getting into Nine Inch Nails. Isn't that so sad that you're like 14 and you're just like, ever, like I'll, I'll talk about I this. I think that's also kind of the story of the downward spiral in a in a much, much darker way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of tre- retreading the same things, but much more explicitly about suicide. Anyway, yeah, let's get into it. Name a more iconic opening. (laughs) Head like a hole. Well, it'll have its own episode because... Halo 3. That's right. But, um... This one is a Flood uh, and LeBlanc production And Reznor. Always liked the song. It was one of the few I knew before I got into them because the radio played it. But uh, we'll go we'll go deep into that one. It's a classic. What can I say? Should we go to track two? Which track two? I was I'm kind of blown away that it was never a single, never a video because it's such a classic song and it's such a fan favorite. It's too. a fan favorite. Yeah. Also, they always they've always played it live. Terrible Lie is track two. There is a nice like segue from Head Like a Hole into Terrible Lie. Is there? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll go to the go to the segue. So there's a lot of transitions on this album. Terrible Lie. I should say that we are listening to um, the original version of Pretty Hate Machine, not the remaster. Great chorus. Salvation comes on 
only in our dreams. So can I tell you about the last time I heard this song out of context? <laughs> what? So uh, usually when I listen to Nine Inch Nails, I just settle in for the whole album. Mm-hmm. I just think of them as like an album band. Um, but I was <laughs> with my sister a couple of weeks ago. We were driving home from a baby shower and she is kind of bougie and she has a uh, like satellite radio. They pay for it and they love the alt rock station on it and we're we're driving and talking and I, I just hear those synths because she had it turned down pretty low and I'm like oh, terrible life. yeah I got really excited bow, bow. but it's just weird whenever to hear it out of context yeah on satellite radio yes or whatever. yeah it's weird to hear unexpectedly not a single but still gets you know that that serious play awesome awesome bridge here I need you to I always, yeah, I was always attracted to the synths. Does this song even have guitars on it? People think it rocks hard, but you should hear the live version. Where they add several guitar parts and it just like rocks 20 times harder, but it was already great. And I feel like there's a million sampled sounds that we're never going to know where they came from. No, I think he's even said that like almost every percussion yes. that you hear on this album is something he lifted he did. from he something else. He said he like stole every, every, everything, <laughs> all the drum sounds you hear, he claims to have stolen from somewhere else, but we're never going to know. We only know a few things that were sampled. I don't think we have one from this song, do we? Mm, I don't have anything written down. I just love that long outro after this part. It just keeps going. Yeah. With these dark synths. And then like these whispers in your ear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is being whispered here? I give oh. you everything, my sweet everything, over and over. Mm. Okay, this, this electronic sound here. I think in that same interview, it was with Keyboard Magazine. In 1990, I think. If this is what he was talking about, it's like some heavily distorted, manipulated wood block. That crazy thing. I always loved that. Yeah, he's whispering there. Just vibe out on the, the darkness here. Live, they totally go ape shit. Right around this. I know because I saw them when I was eight. So. No, she didn't. My mom took me to Lollapalooza for my ninth birthday. It was all I wanted. I was like, Mom, I want to see the butthole surfers and Nine Inch Nails, and she took me. So, you already heard us talk about Down in It. Yeah, but you know what? We fucked up on everything. So. We didn't fuck up, but we do have. We did find the sources of some samples, right? Yes. First, one of the first things I want to address is one of the things we apparently like to do is put ourselves on the spot. 
to try to think of answers to questions that we come up with. And I think we questioned the uh, rain, rain, go away, come again another day. Like how many other songs have like nursery rhyme type Mm -hmm. compositions. So today I Googled because I was like, I know there have to be a zillion. And we're just because we put ourselves on the spot. We couldn't think of them. Um, Well, one is... Uh, Fergie's London Bridge. <laughs> Sorry. Another Madonna's Lucky Star has the starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight, right? Like, yeah. okay. Um, another is uh, Harry Chapin, Cats in the Cradle, and the Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue and the Man in the Moon. Is that a... Well, I mean, it's referencing. But what's funny is this this article I found went through this list of all kinds of songs, right, that reference nursery rhymes. Guess what they did not mention? This one? This song. They did not mention Down in It. It's right there, people. (laughs) So that's the first thing I want to talk about. Um, So is this a Keith? And also, like, um, American Pie. So is this a Keith LeBlanc joint? Okay, well, yes. Sherwood and LeBlanc. They're both in Tackhead. So, yeah, let's go into our sample library here. <laughs> and if anyone wants, I have a Spotify playlist called NIN Samples, where you can listen to the entire oh, song if you want to. Anybody can it's just public. Go see it? Yes. So, the opening, the whole, uh, all the drum machines and samples and stuff. So, I'll play the, play the opening of Down in It real quick. Okay, compare it to a Keith LeBlanc track called Mechanical Movements. So it's layered. There's things on top of it, but that's part of it for that intro there. Mm-hmm. Then the main beat, I believe, is lifted from uh, another Keith LeBlanc track called Einstein. Well, this is what the NIN wiki said, that the drum pattern was taken from this. And it, it sounds like it's very similar, but I don't know if it's a direct, a directly lifted sample. But you tell me. So similar. Um, and then there's that famous crowd sound that we were mm-hmm. wondering about in the first episode. And you were the one who who pulled these out, but there's two sources for this, and I don't know which is which. There's one called Stadium Rock mm-hmm. with a crowd sound in it by Barmy Army. <laughs> I Most of this shit I had never heard of. Okay, I'll just play it. So there's that crowd roar. <sighs> well, that doesn't do that. It just no. does. The, but yeah. then there's a a uh, Tackhead song, and Tackhead is Keith LeBlanc's industrial group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, called Reality, that has the same type of stuttered crowd sound as we hear in Down In It. So here's what that sounds like. So yeah, it's weird. I, all these... From all these different places came this this beat, mm-hmm. but it kind of became its own thing. Yeah. And we also talked about whether or not um, Trent was rapping. Yeah. In that. So to answer your question, 
Um, I read a oral history of Nine Inch Nails in an old issue of Fader. And Richard Patrick, who was recruited to be like an, the touring band for Nine Inch Nails uh, later, um, said that he was hanging out with Trent one day and Trent played him like a demo early version of Down In It. And he was like, are you rapping? And Trent said, kind of. So was he rapping? Kind of. There you go. I'll say on the purest feeling, the early earliest version, it sounds way more rappy, I think. And then he kind of like, he makes it a little on the on the album version, he makes it a little more like sad. <laughs> it's hard to describe. <laughs> I think everything's sadder on the album, right? But, like, yeah. I think that's why TVT was so like, yeah, they were like, like why do? they called it an abortion. They were just like, oh, um, they were like, you ruined the album. This was just like a synth pop dance album, and now it's. But this is so much. They made it so much better. We're gonna listen to our purest feeling episode that we're gonna do, and you'll you'll see, you'll see why it's better. Okay, those are all the samples from that. Can I move on to track four, Sanctified? Sanctified, the best song <laughs> that has ever been written about a crack pipe. What? Just play it. A crack pipe. Trent has said that this song is about a relationship with a crack pipe. I have never heard that. I, I knew it was about drugs. It's Damn. a drug song. Just listen. I just thought it was about a relationship with a, <laughs> with a lady. It's about drugs. So we have a, a Seinfeldian <laughs> keyboard slap bass here. Only time ever in a Nine Inch Nails song. Right? This kind of bass sound. I'm not. I'm not gonna say for sure that a bass never slaps, <laughs> but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Okay. So yeah, starts starts a bit more minimal. Do you know that if you had Rock Band Three, you could download this? <laughs> what the hell are you gonna? I guess there's a, the guitar comes in later. I don't know. You can also download. But there's not um, much guitar. Hold on. There's there's a few of these. Oh, uh, terrible lie. Terrible lie would be fun if you played like the way they do it live. This is about crack. <laughs> okay. So these sounds are crazy. Okay. There's that guitar. Richard Patrick, right? That's what that's what industrial is when this nasty machine noise is in your right headphone and just goes. <laughs> I don't think Richard Patrick actually played on the album, right? Though didn't Trent I... play every instrument? I think he wrote some I stuff, think that... but I don't. Okay, so right here. Okay, the nicest parts of hell. Yeah. I'm pretty sure when I was a kid, like in the mid-90s, early internet, there was like a GeoCity site called the nicest yeah. parts oh, of hell. Oh, that sounds about right. And I would go there and like read posts that people had made, like just spend hours reading through all these message boards. And I did that um, too on other sites. Did I contribute to one? I did. Ooh. Should I read what I contributed? Oh, I don't have my phone with me. 
And a bonus episode to talk about all the goofy things I did oh in fandom. God. Do you, what, you still have the posts? I found it, like, because it's archived. Like, oh you can God. find all these crazy how old GeoCity sites. How does that still exist? I don't know. And I found it, and I found my post, and I took a screenshot of it and saved it. Oh, my God. So this is, like, 13 or 14-year-old Jessica making this post. And what's funny is that I didn't even have an email address. I used my mom's email oh my address God. when I posted. What did you post about? I, I think I did the same kind of stuff. Um, I posted about, it was like a, it was something about Tori Amos and him. I don't remember. Oh, like people course. were, well, I was obsessed with both and people were. Okay. Sorry. So this bridge part, this is a, a clip from Midnight Express, right? Mm-hmm deep in the background there and they took out that uh that for the remaster because i guess they don't have rights to it yeah that might be the reason yeah but they have total rights to this gregorian chant i think that might just be some keyboard choirs Do you or think something so? i think so or samples but it's harder to place than i'm just assuming that all gregorian chant is just open to the public to use I for any so. any purposes Oh, so you were you made posts about rumors about him and Tori Amos? Just about like connections through lyrics. It's dumb. I'll wow. I'll talk about it's, it's a reference to I think where Downward Spiral was recorded and then a lyric she had on Little Earthquakes. It's dumb, but it's still a post I made as 14-year-old Jessica like just scrutinizing everything wow. and analyzing and spending way too much time being obsessed with this. This is where I think it gets a lot more interesting is when this beat this beat really drops. Keep adding more little drum machine things. transition into the next song with some moody mm -hmm. swelling this might be one of the first songs that has hidden lyrics there's another clip in here there's some sort of movie clip deep in the background there that I don't think anyone has ever placed it's also removed in the re remaster goes so into track 5 something I can never have okay the album's piano ballad. What do we think about this one? It's like top 10 Nine Inch Nail song ever, right? Yeah, th this one was not an official single, but it is a fan favorite for all time. Allegedly, the keyboards come from an unused This Mortal Coil session. I thought that was like the background noises and stuff, but I could be wrong on that. I don't know. I still recall the taste of your tears. Guess what I learned to play though? I'm gonna turn on the Casio. 
unless you don't want me to. You look like you don't want me to. God. Do it. Scraping through my head till I don't want to sleep anymore. You make this all. It's a very, very easy song to play. <laughs> it's like four notes, come on. I can't actually play. What makes people so in love with this one? I can't speak for everyone. I don't know. What do you like about it? It gave me teenage feels. It's another, some of these are long, man. This is a five or six minute song here. Um, in a Pitchfork review, the same one where the reviewer talked about how this album is about like being young but thinking that everything good that's ever happened mm -hmm. to you has already happened. Um, he says that this song shows an absolute mastery which would blossom soon after into something like genius and calls it the single finest song that Reznor ever wrote in his opinion. Wow. I don't know about that. I think it was a maybe like a precursor to his his beautiful quiet stuff. It was like the the first of those, the first of many. I have a random memory about this song, like where a friend and I are in her bedroom listening to this song, and she's talking about her prom because <laughs> she was a couple years older than me. Why is she talking about her? Because her prom was like the night before, and. What I'm thinking is, did I bring this CD with me when I went over to her house? Was I like, Probably. gotta listen to this, too? You were that kid. I mean, I was one of those kids who carried Nine Inch Nails CDs around I, with Yeah, me. probably. But I also, I'm glad I never was an aux cord person who would go to parties and hook up their, their well, fucking... Well, we didn't have that. Well, not at the time, we but had, I, even we like in our 20s... We were just on the CD. Even in our 20s, I guess we were that annoying kid, but... God, remember when you're at a party and you're just grooving and then some a-hole comes in and puts his fucking eye-fucking-pot on? Yeah, iPod On his DJs. music and he's like, who's got the ox? And then you just have to listen to fucking Blur all night because they're going through their Blur phase and you're like, no. <laughs> Blur's great. I'm not saying anything bad, but I've had to hear Boys and Girls one more time played by like a 21-year-old kid at a party. I'm going to bang my head against the wall. He's <laughs> got this the ultra quiet bridge that goes into the emotional climax where he cusses the fading fucking reminder of who I used to be come on tell me you make this makes me excited to get to the um, 
the still version of this song from like 11 oh my years God, later. That's insane. I can't wait to get to that. That'll probably be a bonus. There have been a lot of covers of this that are interesting. Tori Amos covered it. I have not heard that one yet. Well, I sent it to you and you said no thanks yeah. <laughs> when you replied to me. I was kind of dismissive because I'm not big into her, but is it yeah. any good? It's very Tori Amos. Like, she's wow. very dramatic, melodramatic, flinging around, like, on her. And I'm not saying that. I like I like, I like Tori. I like these chords that it ends on. I can never Kind of ends unexpectedly. It's like birds chirping. Mm-hmm. A lot of birds chirping throughout in the quiet parts. You can hear them. That was the end of side A of our vinyl that we just listened to earlier. Stop for a second. So there have been a lot of covers. Tori Amos did a cover. Flyleaf, I think, are they... I didn't do a lot of research on them because they... From what I've heard of them, they sound like evanescency, and I was never into that kind of music. That kind of like... Yeah, I don't care for their It's not thing. my. It's just not my thing. Whatever. But Flyleaf did a cover on it for Underworld Evolution. And it's a clean version. So that fading fucking reminder. I'm guessing the Mm -hmm. fucking is gone. (laughs) I didn't bother. I couldn't get that far listening. They say freaking. (laughs) I could not get that far trying to listen to their cover. Is that horrible? It's just not my thing. No, I wouldn't listen to the whole thing. God, it's six minutes long. No. Um, But then there was a cover by, I think it was Corey Taylor. Isn't he the lead singer of Slipknot? If I'm I guess remembering so, correctly. Probably. But he was doing like a solo show and he played it on acoustic guitar. On acoustic guitar. And the whole crowd sang along. And I was watching it on YouTube and I thought it was just a really powerful moment because it is something that a lot of people his age and mm-hmm. younger like really identify with and love this song. Mm-hmm. And I also don't mind sing alongs. Um I was probably a little too old. I never really got into Dashboard Confessional, but I'm aware of like the phenomenon at their concerts where it was just like this cathartic emo sing-along, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I did see them in concert actually at Austin City Limits Fest. So it is kind of cool just to be around. I mean, I wasn't super into their music. I knew a few of their singles, uh, but it was kind of cool to be in a crowd that where you just hear so many people singing along so passionately. And um, I was mainly at that stage all day because I just wanted to see the Pixies. So I sat through <laughs> a lot of stuff. And I was just like, I don't care. I just want to make sure I'm up front for the Pixies. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about this song, I think about like a very sad 14-year-old Jessica. Mm. Just to get real for, just get real for a second. Because I'm always interested in how people um, react to music or uh, relate to music more than I am necessarily the construction of the song. It's kind of opposite of you, whereas yeah. you're more into the engineering and the production, but I'm more mm-hmm. into how how does it make you feel and how do you relate to it and why? Why is something so important to so many people? But I remember being like 14 years old and a lot of music whenever you're a little kid or that young, you just listen to in your bedroom, usually on your headphones, right? So you can have it as loud as you want. Or so your parents don't know what devil music you're listening right, to. that's what I did. Exactly. So you would just have your headphones on, laying in bed. And I remember just being like freshman in high school and laying in bed listening to this song and like crying and just so devastated because I thought at that point that, and this is something that reoccurred to me recently, was that I, I think what I was thinking and feeling at that point 
was that I would never be loved and I would never know hurt like this or heartbreak like this. And I wanted so badly to be heartbroken because it would have meant that I would have been loved. Is that the saddest thing that you've ever heard in your life? That's too sad. And I was, when I revisit the song, I think about sad 14 year old Jessica and what a sad girl she was. And that's a horrible place to be in. But yeah, fucking great song. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Uh, It's not a banger. I mean, (laughs) I like the bangers that get my toe a tapping, you know? Um, But this one will make you sad, which is what a, a lot of their music does. And almost, yeah, the entirety of Nine Inch Nails makes me think of depressed, or at least, okay, Nine Inch Nails through the year 2000 makes me think of very depressed early teen Blake, deeply, deeply depressed. Yeah. And alone. Yes. A lot of this was just laying in my bedroom alone, sad. But that, that song especially, I think it resonates for a lot of people for probably many different reasons, but... For me, it just reminds me of thinking, wow, I'm never going to be heartbroken because no one's ever going to love me. He's singing about something he can never have and something you felt that you would never have was, I guess, love. Yeah. But, and you know, in a way, that's kind of what he's also talking about. Yeah. But Just thought I was kind of ugly on the inside and the outside and no one would ever like me. Well, I felt the same way about myself. But now we're married, so, you know, fuck the haters. (laughs) Speaking of, mm-hmm. no, not speaking of anything, the album continues and takes oh, a- Oh, wait. What? Do you want to talk about like the hidden lyrics at all as we go Oh, yeah. Them? Go ahead. So this one actually has a long stanza. Um, Does it? Yes. So this album, for whatever reason, and I completely forgotten about this until I was revisiting it and looking at the liner notes in our, like our, our record, mm-hmm. this album has hidden lyrics- Basically, they're just lyrics that were for some reason never recorded or included on this version, or that he just added and never meant to be lyrics. So I think he wrote them, but didn't end up putting them in the song. Yes. So put them in the liner notes anyway. Yeah. So this one has the hidden lyrics are um, Think I know what you meant that night on my bed, still picking at this scab. I wish you were dead. Your sweat and Perry Ellis just stains my sheets. So that's the hidden yeah. lyric. It's a longer one. Some of these are just yeah. like one-liners, but that one is a little bit longer. I don't know where that would fit in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But also, I okay, can I ask you a question? This might just be a girl thing. I don't know if boy. I can't, I'm trying to remember if boys did this as much as girls did in high school. But did you guys, when you got brand new notebooks, would you write lyrics all over them? Some of us would. Or would I, you do that weird S thing? Why did boys yeah, always draw did, that S I thing? I did the S because, you know, it was easy. What was the point in that? I don't know. Okay. It looked cool. All right. So, but would you draw, like, write lyrics and scrawl them? Like, deeply, scr- I mean, I'm talking, like, carve them into that cardboard back of your mead. I wasn't really know? the type of person who would, <clears throat> but I lots of people yeah. were. So, I would totally just cover my notebooks and folders and song lyrics. And so, from this one, I and a lot of them... One of my favorite ones to write is actually a whole lyric from Gutless, and it's, I don't really miss God, but I sure miss Santa Claus. Like, I would write that all over everything. Wow. I love that. It's just such a good lyric to see scrawled on, like, a notebook. But a lot of Nine Inch Nails lyrics made their way onto a lot of different objects of mine. We'll get into something later. would be the color. If I had a heart. And it was a gray notebook. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that was the lyric from this song. I that I would write in my oh, of notebook. Course, of course. Yeah, I don't think there were. There's a big one from Sin that I would write. There had to be every lyric was a website by the. There had to have been like gray would be the color dot geocities.com <laughs> probably that was probably a website with a message board probably totally was um but yeah that's the first one i can think of is from this song i'm sure i had like had like a whole lyrics like two um <sighs> i'd rather die than give you control yeah i don't think there's anything from terrible lie or down in it or but yeah the first one i could think of as to this was gray would be the color if i had a heart just scrawled all over notebooks so okay well, the album continues and, and takes a turn into the more danceable and funky and uh, kind of I want to is what it's called. Reznor thinks this is the worst song he's ever done, by the way. Well, he hasn't heard That's What I Get. Someone should tell him. I I think this one's all right. I, I think this is... A, this is an enjoyable one on this album for me. I think it's good. It was only played on early tours, and he said he'll never play it again. So if you saw it... Yeah, I couldn't imagine them playing it in these days. No. But they... All these songs on this album have been played at some point live, but some of them were in the, in the very early days. Can you imagine that's what I get live? Wait, I thought there was one from here that he's never played live. Unless it's that's what I get. I always love this synthesizer on this song. I like uh, NIN Wiki because there's a page called NIN Songs Never Played Live. <laughs> it's very helpful. Oh, We're in This Together has never been played live, right? Yes, it has. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll verify that here. Okay. Yeah, all songs from Pretty Hate Machine have been played. Okay. Probably in the very early days, they'd play something like this. Or That's What I Get. I need a video of That's What I... We'll get to it. We already talked about how we want to get onto Reddit and find someone whose favorite song is That's What I Get. Oh, yeah. If your favorite song is That's What I Get, please DM contact us. us. What did you say about the fragile? We're in this together now. No, it's not on the list. Oh. So I guess I've never heard it. It was they talked about it in that issue of Fader. They've apparently never played "Where Is Everybody," which is an awesome song. It's insane that they've never played that. Okay, so here's okay. Down in it's back. I love that this comes back. Mm-hmm. But it's down in it plus like a guitar riff thing. I love this bridge part. This is why Kinda I Want To is good. One of the few parts on the album where guitar is just allowed to kind of go nuts. It's probably Richard Patrick. I don't know. Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor, so. Is that what the liner note says? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's, that's more or less true. All these little samples and drums and 
Some of these hand drums, who knows where they came from. I, I didn't find a source on most of the sounds on this. I like that. I think we'll get in trouble for just playing this entire album on the podcast. You're gonna have to edit the shit out of it, so that way we can just be like, "Oh, it meets the uh, the standards of time," and also this is educational. So there's really no there's no such thing as a time limit. I thought you could have like a certain amount of time no, without. That's a myth. Oh. Yeah. So you just have to justify it as being educational to get away with using it. Or critical. Okay. You can use it for critical commentary purposes, parody. So we can say that we're doing a parody. <laughs> Kinda I want to, more like uh, I would not make a good parody artist. Not off the cuff, apparently. Alright, here we go into one of my faves. Oh, so a single coming up. Mm-hmm. This one gets its own episode, so. Those wild sounds. Mm-hmm. This is a track number seven, by the way. I don't know. Well, no one's going to know this. Uh, but my friends and I in junior high and high school decided that track sevens were always like probably the best track on the album, if not second best. <laughs> like It was like definitely like an album banger. Like it's just a good... A it's true a lot, but Good it's track. a banger on number seven. Usually a solid track on number seven. So I always pay attention to yeah. track sevens. I gave you my purity, my purity you stole. But Sin. Sin was a single. Always love this one. It is Halo 4. So we'll come to it soon. Love the, the darkness and the synthiness of this one. So on my notebook, I would carve, if I can't have everything, then just give me a taste. Wow. You were dirty and dark. <laughs> That's what they call me, dirty and dark. <laughs> dirty and dark, just like this Trentini I'm drinking that I nearly choked on just now. <laughs> Sin is great, but we're going to get into it and its own thing. Can I, I want to say something. What? So track number eight, it's grown on me. Uh, Okay. That's what I get. I'll very briefly say that I think the purest feeling demo is better than what it ended up being. We're going to say that I'm purest I'm, feeling. I debate, is is this the worst Nine Inch Nails song of all time? I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't I don't. As someone who it. has listened to Pretty Hate Machine at least once per day for the past week leading up to this and three times today. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just want to say that this song has really grown on me. Okay, well, okay go. I love this. So, I don't. You I don't? Mean, I don't think it's a good choice to open the song with this weird synth patch. I like it. It's like, and it's free of any beat. That, that little synth patch is in down in it, by the way reused mm-hmm. so another thing i don't like about the song 
is that it reuses, it's like synth patches we've already heard in other songs. But it's okay for like other songs to do that? No, I'm just saying like, it's not like, it's not, it's, I'm not hearing anything new. And also the lyrics are goofy. I Was it kind of, I want to, that also references down in it? No. And that's okay? No, that's not that's different. That's an that's an homage. Oh, okay. That's that's lifting a um motif. It's different. It's different. Look, it's different. That's what I get. <laughs> I hear, I read that he didn't that's even in, I maybe I don't know if he decided this later, but he didn't intend for this song to really make the final album. Yeah, I thought of it as like a B side. Yeah, I thought it and you know, if there was gonna be one song that wasn't good enough for the album, maybe it'd be this one. But I think my opinion is that I don't hate it. I don't consider it a bad song, but I don't consider it's this part it, that people have pro- turned yeah. it up. After you just taught me how to kiss you. Aww. Yeah, lyrics are a little clunky and a little, little juvenile. Now they're later on in the now song. Now I'm slipping on the tears. You made me cry. Yeah, that's a little goofy. Oh, so emo. I it love is it. Super like it's like seventh grade stuff. Yeah, but when you're 14, you feel this. I think it. The song gets good when there's a real beat that smacks toward the end. It. I'm gonna say it's not a good song. Not, but not a song that I hate necessarily. I like this part. It needs a beat. She's mouthing the lyrics at me. Okay. It's hard to describe what doesn't work. I mean... When the beat drops, though, it's not. No, bad. when the beat drops, it's much better. Yeah, and it, that demo version, there's a beat throughout the song. I don't know why they changed it up uh, and made it less good. This was recorded. Uh, this was produced by Fryer. Okay. That's what I get. See, if there was a funky beat throughout the whole thing, maybe it'd be a little more interesting. This album, this album's choruses are mostly just saying the title a bunch of times. <laughs> it works. I'm not saying that. Is that's it a also bad thing. Heim that does yeah. that? That Josh, it's our Heim. friend Josh, I, gets annoyed at. I think a lot of bands probably do that, but it's it's very apparent on this album to me. Kind of, I want to, so, you know, and like a whole. It's all terrible lie. It's all the same. Just saying the title. Yeah, but it's done very well. Good I do. Job. I mean, I like these synth sounds. They're they're a bit cheese ball, but I mean, cheese ball is my whole background in music. So I like that. Like, it sounds like a video game boulder exploding.
So here's another song about doing it. Okay, this one. I'm drunk. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this one. Now I'm so the only time. This is Trent's lounge act. <laughs> Man, he's such a good vocalist. Lay my hands on heaven and the sun and the moon and the stars while the devil wants to fuck me in the back of his car. Nothing quite like I like that choir that comes in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the big drums come in. I do love the chorus. Guess what? You can download this on Rock Band 3. It's so weird because this doesn't really have guitar in it either. I'm like, what? What do you play? Mm-hmm. I love that the chorus is great in this. The, he's not saying the. Well, he says the title now. But the main chorus is just like maybe I'm, maybe I'm all messed up. In a really cool sense. Lots of sexual, <laughs> gross uh, uh, vocalizations. Being like Fourteen and listening to this and like just discovering that you're horny. Oh no! <laughs> so you're like Jessica got horny for the first time song. to this. That's not true. It was um, closer when I was twelve. Oh, no, we'll talk That's about too, that. Too sexy, too soon. I don't think so. Hold on. The best part, I believe, is... Yeah, here we go. Imagine being 14 and just singing this part. Just like a 14-year-old girl singing, my moral standing is lying down. Like I knew what that meant. she knows... Now all the kids listen to WAP. This is like totally innocent. Yeah, this is nothing compared to (laughs) WAP. This is the WAP of its day. I was kind of wondering if these drums are like live drums possible that because they use live drums in the original demo of this it's possible that it's that it's also possible it's a break beat stolen from something else or that it's just a well-disguised drum machine but it's good craft either way love that synth again vocalizations then. There's that synth again, that, that synth patch from down in it. There's like a fake out ending and then it goes back to the chorus again. This is the only time 
Good five minutes long. A lot of these songs are long, man. I can't wait to our five-hour episode on the fragile. It'll be two episodes. Good to kind of ride out on that beat and that. I'm trying to remember solo. if I ever carved my moral standing is lying down in a that notebook. That would be goofy, man. I don't think I did. That would be. I, in my notebook in school, I wrote, The devil fucked me in the back of his car. <laughs> this is like in. my secret banger, I think. This one is? Yeah. Ring Finger is good. This is the it's final so track. Good. Track 10, Ring Finger. I do like this long intro of mm-hmm. just a kick drum and this synth. It's ping-ponging from left. You hear your ear and your headphones here. We're wearing headphones. It's ping-ponging left to right. I like the way the synth does that. So this one I don't think is played live very often. I think it was just like early touring. No, Not I've, played since I've never 91. heard a live version of this. But there... Toward the end, it gets really rocking. That's good. Honestly, just playing this whole album is the only way we're going to get Josh to listen to Nine Inch Nails. So, I I could see Josh listening to our entire series and never really. Listening. He would still say, "Head like a hole, better by Miley." He won't. <laughs> what he would say? He won't listen to the album, but he'll listen to us listening to the album. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I imagine. Do you like this part? This chorus? Yes, I do. Nope, there's a guitar. And then we got this like subwoofer bass suddenly comes in with a vengeance. Talk about Jesus. One of the more guitar-heavy songs, I think. I do like this, like, creepy vibe on the... The chorus? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's very indicative of where Nine Inch Nails goes. All these weird noises and samples here. Just getting ready to go buck wild. So this does appear on purest feeling, but it's totally different it's lyrically, different, correct? It's the chorus is different, the title's different. But musically, is this a composition Musical, basically the it's same? Basically the same, I think. I think the guitars get better on later Nine Inch Nails albums. 
Well, I think he becomes more comfortable with guitar himself. And I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's him playing. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't sound like him. But in later albums, like you can really tell his no, sound later on. No, he has guest guitarists and stuff later. No, I'm. Oh, I'm here. Saying, I'm saying, yeah, on this album, it doesn't sound like the 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 Trent guitar playing that we've come to know and love. He has a very signature style on the guitar. The guitars sound like really high pass filtered on this album. They're tinny and and weird. I mean, they work for what they are, but for my, my audio heads out there, it sounds like everything is high passed. It means all the low end is removed out of the guitars. Some production choice. I dig it. It's cr- it's this high high end crunch. Oh, here comes that that sample. We'll play it. <laughs> come on, come on. That was Perry Farrell, I think, right? Yeah, that's a Jane's Addiction. And you're sample. not a Jane's Addiction fan, correct? No, I'm not. You no, should. I'm not. Sorry. And now we're just we're into funk town here. I'm just grooving out. Oh, here come the scratching, turntable scratching. Don't know if that's taken from something else. This whole album has like a more hip hop style of just sampling, layering the samples. Well, I think later when he recorded, he went for a harder sound, so it wasn't quite as dance yeah, or pop inspired. And also at that point, like Paul's Boutique had come out, like there had been lawsuits about sampling, yeah. so people were more afraid to like He sample. clearly was not afraid of just using whatever. Well, I think he also just takes things and distorts them until they're so unrecognizable. Yeah, true. You, you can't track it down. And then... Um, okay, before I forget, since we just listened to Ring, Ring Finger, that, um, that Jane's Addiction sample leading into the outro part, here it is. It's from How to Dad. I always thought it may that it was like Trent going, come on, come on. <laughs> okay, and a, allegedly, um, there's a something taken from Prince's song "Alphabet Street" mm-hmm. in Ring Finger. <laughs> um, and on the remaster, I should say there is a. Track 11, that is a cover of Get Down, Make Love by Queen. We'll talk was, about it on Sin. It's a, it's a B-side of Sin, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll talk about it on that episode, but it's on the remaster of Pretty Hate Machine. Yeah. I had the Sin single Not on, the on CD. Did you have I, it? That's one I never had. I wish I did, but it would have been stolen out of my car anyway, so no, I, I had it, and guess what? I was poor, and I sold all my CDs no. like a million years ago because I was really, really poor. Well, so. It's got cool artwork. That's okay. I have a t-shirt with it on it. It's fine. We got uh, that Halo 1 through 4 box set, baby. Yeah. 
So I have it in a form. Um, Ring Finger, by the way, had hidden lyrics too. Okay, what are they? And it's, um, I'm so tired, I can't go to sleep. And the squeaking of the bed is right in time with the song that's repeating in my head. I just want you to know, when I do it, I only think of you. What, Jack Off? <laughs> These are so sexual. I don't know. But. Interesting. Have you thought about what the world would have been like if, and this might be something we get into on Head Like a Hole. Mm-hmm. But have you wondered what the world would have been like if Head Like a Hole had been the breakout alt-rock single instead of Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> things would have taken a different... Although things kind of ended up in the same place. I mean, now everything is electronics combined with rock elements. You know? Yeah. Thing, things are more industrial than they are grunge. <laughs> well, definitely, because grunge was so copied and... Um, it was for... It, it kind of ruled the 90s, but... Well, I mean, it was just so... You had all the post-grunge, butt rock mm-hmm. crap that drug on. Yeah. Um, but that, I think, allowed because maybe he didn't have quite the pressure on himself that Kurt Cobain did. It allowed for more freedom for him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but I just always wondered, like, what if Head Like a Hole had ended up being like the <laughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit instead of yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit? Like, what would the world have looked like if Industrial had just completely just ruled the way 90s? darker. I don't know. <sighs> It's more I fitting. I just think it's funny because at the time when I was younger, like, like it was grunge that ruled everything, right? And I kind yeah. of, I mean, obviously Nine Inch Nails aren't grunge, but they were lumped into like just alternative culture in general. They were a bit of a, they had, they were a bit of an alternative to grunge, or that's the way it was sold, kind of that it was like, you know, the industrial electronic option, yeah, uh, that you could do because grunge was huge. A lot of those musicians who were associated with that era, right? Like Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell. You know what I mean? Like they are revered, I feel like, in a way that Trent Reznor wasn't for a long time, if this makes mm-hmm. any sense at all. <laughs> he was, I feel, but in a different niche. Maybe, but I feel like certain parts of music press were more likely to praise like Vedder. No. And and other alt rock acts like that than they were. I think it's taken a while for him to be taken seriously. Is what I feel like. Like now it's easy to come back and be like, yeah, Pretty Hate Machine is a great album. But at the time, like probably mainstream rock acts weren't reviewing it and dismissed him for a long time until the Downward Spiral sold. Yeah, so many copies. I mean, yeah. I guess that's how it always was. Whenever there's an emerging artist who. Doesn't quite take the world by storm, but yeah. uh, is is becomes important. I don't know. I'm just trying to imagine what would have happened if he if 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 the roles had been reversed and Pretty Hate Machine became like the Nevermind of our generation. Like, I mean, we, would he have survived <laughs> the '90s? Would he have done the same wet thing? Maybe he would have burned out quicker and and quit music earlier. Yeah, I think uh, that maybe because he was kind of never put in that status that allowed for a lot more freedom for him and for yeah. the choices he's made in it's his It's good career. that he he kind of worked, even though he had some mainstream success, he got to work under the radar, partly because he insisted upon it to an almost pathological degree where he insisted on making Pretty Hate Machine the way he wanted, even though his record label hated him for it. Then um, 
the, his follow-up to Pretty Hate Machine he made entirely in secret so that his record label would not know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he changed labels and fought for decades to become independent. Anyway, I, if Industrial was the more mainstream choice, uh, I guess more, there would I have guess, been more you know ripoffs. What? There would have been more stabbing westwards. Like- yeah, like imagine... A dozen stabbing westwards on the radio all at the same time. That's a nightmare. Because <laughs> there's a lot of Im- there's imitators of of um, every successful. Yeah, yeah, and then there's pretty hate machine imitators out there, I guess, um, and Nine Inch Nails imitators. Uh, some of them Christian, like bands like Skillet, Cl- Skillet and Clank. Clank. With the names like those, you know they got to be industrial, but they're doing it for God. They're doing it for Jesus. Um, they so they're second rate knockoffs. And yeah, that would have been kind of annoying, but you know, there's always, there's so many knockoffs of Nirvana, but it doesn't make, Nirvana's still great, you know, even though it came to Puddle an abrupt, of Mud sucks or whatever. It came to an abrupt end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When I was going through the stuff that inspired uh, Pretty Hate Machine and the industrial stuff that samples were taken from, like Tackhead, the whole Tackhead thing. I found it to be mostly unlistenable. <laughs> I think a lot of people think that way about like certain elements of industrial. Like, have you ever listened to Throbbing Gristle? I think I've heard it. A lot of early industrial is kind of unlistenable. Like, I think Reznor put the, the pop. Yeah, on here's it. what that's what that's why I love what Trent Reznor did. He took that unlistenable industrial noise and he put pop hooks to it so that my pop head little ears <laughs> were like oh this i like this this has a beat i can dance to i don't dance i just sit in my room alone and cry sometimes but still if i'd I like to, to yeah, yeah. i can imagine that i'm dancing yeah. to the sadness i think in like a, a spin interview like a a reporter asked him like does it bother you that people just say that you're depeche mode for people who want a harder depeche mode and he's like no <laughs> like yeah, not I mean, at all. Would that bother you if someone compared you to Depeche Mode? Not at all. No, I yeah, one of the greats. I I kind of always got the feeling that he wanted to be like Depeche Mode, just from the you know the the sound, the uh, parallels are obvious there. But yeah, of course that's a compliment. And well, I think whenever you're young too, and you're trying to like discover your voice and whatever your your art may be, whether it's you know you're actually uh, writing. Or you're creating music or you're painting or doing photography. Like there's always a little bit of you that copies your idols to a certain extent to help you learn, I think. Yes. And that way you discover yourself. And so I think that's what Pretty Hate Machine is, if that makes any sense. It's like his discovery of himself. Yeah. And you can see parts, you can see pieces in this album of where the band would mm-hmm. go later. Some things he kept for later and some things didn't, like the rapping didn't so much continue, with very few exceptions. I And this, I'd say this is probably the artist who is most influential on the way I made music in my life as a uh, teenager who made music in my bedroom, you know, using my computer. Uh, I just wanted it to sound like Nine Inch Nails. So yeah, we just, we want to sound like our, our idols, man. We just rip them off. And some people might, oh, the, the whole concept of stealing different sounds, like this whole sound collage 
method of making Pretty Hate Machine, and I like all the hip-hop at the time, just sampling and stealing. People knock it or say it's cheating, and you know what I'm saying? Like, people say, oh, that's not that's not right. That's not real music, man. You're just stealing stuff. But, like, that's what we all do. Don't we all just steal stuff? I don't know what I'm getting at. I mean, from the beginning, Prometheus stole fire from the gods. So from the beginning, he, we've just been stealing well, shit. he had to be tortured for the rest of his life for that one. <laughs> no, no. I, I think I don't know a lot of art sense. is um, knowing your influences and mm-hmm. taking from them, but making it your own eventually, maybe, if you're really good. If you're yeah. Candlebox, it'll never happen for you. You're just going to sound like Candlebox. But if you're good, a lot of it is just learning and playing with things that inspire you. And maybe you take it and twist it into something original and of your own. So Yeah, I think he very much made it his own and continued to make a, a genre unto himself almost. He's in a, a, uh, a league. Never mind. <laughs> league of his own. Okay, we got to wrap this up at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts that we should say? I just want to we... say that it's been a hell of a. The last time we recorded, the past couple weeks have been really hard, and listening to this album has, has brought me a little bit of comfort. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's just been a rough week. You know, that had another mass shooting. Cops are just killing kids and people of color like they always are in America. And um, mm-hmm. it's been nice to have this album to come back to. I but, feel like Trent would write an angry song about it to get his his feelings out about about know. that. How what, how do you feel about this album overall? Love it. Yeah, it's a classic. I I don't even want to rate it. It's I, a teen classic and it's an adult classic. Like even coming back to it, yeah. I still think it's a great album. It's not something that can only be appreciated like when you're a teenager. I think it's a starting point and it's a good he started out good and he got better. It's a it's a starting point though. It's it it almost seems primitive when compared to later stuff. What if we rated thing? We don't really have to rate it because I don't know that. What I would want be to. okay? How about we do something? What are your top five songs off this? I'm gonna say five because there's only ten tracks, so that would be half an album. So what are your your top five? Terrible lie, sin. This is hard. Had like a hole down in it. I'm surprised you included down in it. You seemed like, really. I, don't know. I mean, of me it's hard. Maybe it. not. Maybe it would be like ring finger and kind of. I want to. I don't know. You like, left off something I could never have. Like yeah, totally. I know. Yeah. Like that. That's a. It's a. It's a sad bastard song, and I. I like it. It's good. It has. It's important. It's an yeah. important song, but. You know that the sad bastard stuff is less of my. I like the Blake only beats. likes sad bastard shit if it's written by pretty women like right. Phoebe Bridgers. So if only Trent Reznor was a pretty <laughs> girl. Uh, okay, I'm gonna do my top five. I'm just gonna do it in track listing order from the album, so it's not in any kind of order. But I guess had like a whole terrible lie down in it, <laughs> something I can never have. I guess sin, but I love Ring Finger. So yeah. those those are that my two that are hard. Song. Well, you know they're all good in their own way, yeah. Except for don't say that's it. what I get, which may not be good at all, but also Trent may not. I would be, say kind of. I want to is I'm the not, bad one. So I disagree with him there. Got to disagree. Okay. I'm not saying we have to rate things, but mm-hmm. I did think of a funny thing while we were listening. Okay. What if we rate things in inches, and the maximum was nine inches? <laughs> okay. 
All right. I might I might give this like seven inches. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say seven point five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that I mean, sounds about fair. That's a good album and they have a, a lot of room to grow. That's a kind of a good lay, you know? Grow or not a show. A seven point five is a great lay. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I wish I should be so lucky. Blake. I'm sorry. I'll cut that out. All right. Let's not keep the people any any longer than we have yeah. to. I guess should we talk about anything else that we do? Because we do creative things other than Well, this. first of all, join us next time for Halo 3 Head Like a Hole. So. What do we do? What do you do, Jessica? Well, I host another podcast called Are You There Pod? It's mm-hmm. part of the Ox Podcast Network. We read um, YA fiction from the That's young adult. 70s, 80s, and 90s. So the authors mm-hmm. you love, like Judy Bloom. R.L. Stein. R.L. Yep. Richie Tankersley Cusick. The Sweet Valley High series. Oh, yeah. Babysitter's Club. Baby, all those books and just random stuff we find. Mm-hmm. Uh, we read and discuss it and make jokes and tell embarrassing teen stories. So if you want more stories of 14-year-old Jessica crying in bed, tune in because I got them. I also do a podcast with my band. This podcast is almost kind of like a mini because we're talking about the discography of Nine Inch Nails, but... I think you took pity on me because I was so jealous of your discography podcast and not getting to talk about music that you took pity on me because I said, if you guys talk about Nine Inch Nails and I'm not on every episode, then I'm divorcing you. We we both love this band so much that it deserved its own podcast. But anyway, it's called More of That Presents Discography. My band's name is More of That. uh, And Discography, we go through... The discographies of the great musical artists. We did Nirvana. We're currently, well, we're between seasons now. If you want bonus episodes of our podcast or any podcast on the Ox Network, or if you want bonus songs and content and you want to join our Discord and talk to us. Or yell at us about everything we've gotten wrong and how wrong we are. Yeah, and and tell us stuff that we skipped on our Discord you got to join the Patreon, though, so go to patreon.com slash auxaudio. That's A-U-X-A-U-D-I-O. Do it. So, mm. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's that may be everything. What should we go out on? Can I have the cord? <laughs> Pass me the aux. <laughs> Let me have that dongle. <laughs> I'll give you that dongle. So, today I was listening to just kind of random reworkings of Nine Inch Nails songs. And I discovered Vitamin String Quartet did a uh, tribute to Pretty Hate Machine. And I thought that specifically this song, I didn't get all the way through it, but this song, I was driving around going to the grocery store. And I just felt like I was in kind of a hillbilly horror movie when this came on. Oh, sanctified. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. I think I like that better than the slap bass. Oh, God. <laughs>
It's almost better. I think this is better. I like it. Audio.